0: Well, good morning, everyone. So glad you made it out today on this frigid morning. It's like last... Yesterday was like a fake-out, wasn't it? It was gorgeous yesterday, and this morning was just like, I do not want to get out of bed. But you made it at 9 o'clock. That means you have great self-discipline. Either that or you want to get to your day quicker. (laughs) Well, uh, so glad you're here today. We're going to have just a just a chat this this is the lovely Seth Kittinger yes as many of you I know know Seth and he's taught a number of times Seth what Seth does with believers he works part-time for us and basically um, he and I every Monday just pray through together and talk through what what do we think the Lord wants to teach us so he's just a really good teacher and a good thinker most of all he's a beautiful follower of Jesus and sometimes we've been talking about what we, you know, whatever it was, and we're like, you know, it might have been more productive if we just had the conversation rather than try to pretty it up and make it into a message. And so that's what we're doing today: is just doing a conversation with each other about really the stuff I just prayed into. I just have such a strong sense that Jesus is eager for us to grow in our intimacy with Him in new ways, in ways that involve. Just daily life. And we become more practiced in accessing Him um, anytime, anywhere. And life gets more and more fun the more practiced we become. The thing that's powerful about it is you never have to worry, am I doing this right or wrong? Because we're all beginners all the time. I can say this with certainty. The enemy of our souls is scared to death that we figure this out. And I I just know that because if if all of a sudden the presence of our Lord Jesus in the way we act and the way we are being just keeps on showing up wherever you go, no place is safe from the presence of God. Because there you are. Make sense? Um, So, you know, we've been talking about desire. You know, I'm a teacher, so I tend to repeat, repeat, repeat because I want everybody to remember, you know, and we're saying, what do I want? And the argument I've been making is that what we really want is God and his kingdom. And I was like, really? I don't know if I believe that. But, but the reasoning behind that, and you can go back to previous messages to see, the reasoning behind it is if you get down to any desire that you have, whether it's even a really good desire, like, I just want to have a healthy family. I just want to have a good marriage. If you keep on asking why, asking why, asking why, eventually you'll get to a desire that's beyond your control. Like, I just, I just want to have enough money to retire. Well, I just want to be at peace. Why? I want to live a happy life forever. Right? If you start asking, and you realize, I'm not in control of that. You may think you are, but if, if you're over 50, right, you know I am not in control of this. <laughs> More of the illusions start to die the older you get. And you realize, I've got to access something beyond myself if that desire is ever really going to get met. And so what Jesus is offering us in the scriptures and through following him is that he's actually created us to desire. We're supposed to desire and want. It really does drive us. But we're in the bad habit of trying to find other things to satisfy the desire that only God in his kingdom, meaning his way of ordering things, his way of ordering our inner life, and ordering the world around us. That's the only thing that'll actually scratch the itch. And so, what we've learned from the parables that Jesus tells us is the way to that is we have to relinquish every other desire, which is like, that's crazy talk, right? That's total crazy talk. That sounds ridiculous. But as we talk through this, you start to, what we're gonna talk about is realize that Jesus helps us do this so that either those desires just go ahead and get buried. Because it wasn't really a good one. Like, a a desire I have is to be powerful and respected at all times. And guess what? That sounds a lot like trying to be God. And I'm finding that the the more I just relinquish that, the less God is resurrecting it. (laughs) Because it's just not that interested in my reputation. It doesn't really matter that much. And actually, it's exhausting after a while trying to keep my reputation going. He's interested in his reputation, which is beautiful and gorgeous, and me p- pointing at him all the time, because after a while, we lo- we're not that interesting anyway, right? He's so interesting. So, But some of these, he, he resurrects these desires that, are, I just want to have a healthy family. Well, yeah, but guess what? My desire sometimes to have a healthy family makes me want to control everybody in my family. Makes me want to, the my kids need to behave a certain way, or I don't want to have it. I have, to desire, I have to relinquish that desire for a healthy family because I'm not doing it in kingdom way. Does that make sense? Kingdom way, relying on God, praying, serving, laying my life down, setting an example, yes, disciplining, but there's a whole lot more going Okay, enough of that. So we've been talking about that this desire for God in His kingdom, it inspires discipline, right? It inspires our willingness to relinquish other desires. Again, the parable was the guy finds a treasure in a field and it's and, and he's willing to sell everything he has to buy this treasure in this field. That's how Jesus explained it. Why would you be willing to buy or sell everything you have to buy it? Well, it's because I'm inspired. This is so good. I have to have this. And some of us have tasted that, right? We've tasted God. I'm assuming you have or I don't know why you're here, right? Right? It can't be just because, you know, you just enjoy church services. It has to be, I've tasted something of God and I want to access him again. But we found that if if we, there's certain ways that if we keep be, being crowded by all these other desires, even if they're good, we miss, we actually don't get the desire of our heart. So that discipline nurtures desire. And we talked about that, like there's, comparisons of like if I really wanted to play a song on the guitar, but I don't know how to play the guitar. Well, I'll be inspired to play the guitar, but if I never take the discipline to learn to play it, I'll never get my desire fulfilled because I'll never be able to play it. Make sense? So, the big question, if it's true that desire inspires discipline and discipline nurtures desire, how do we actually live this? this? This has been very more conceptual, I understand. Well, here's the fun thing, is Jesus is our vision. Jesus shows us how to live a life of desire and discipline. And so the way we're talking about today is simply this is we can look at Jesus' life, just the way Jesus lived. You could say it this way. Jesus, the way he lived, he did what he wanted. Jesus did what he wanted. And he told us what he wanted. He said he loved the Father and does exactly what my Father's commanded me. Apparently he really wanted to do that. He was the archetype, the example, the living out of desiring God and his kingdom with no barriers between him and the Father. Because you see it like this. His Father, he he knows right away. This is right before he's going to the cross. Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. In other words, he had an immediate, ongoing sense of the Father's love. He knew who he was, it says in John 13, so he was willing to wash the disciples' feet because he already knew, I belong to my Father, and I can humiliate myself because it doesn't matter because my dad loves me. I have significance said, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. He knew he had all the resources he needed to do whatever it was in front of him, knowing that the cross was in front of him. But he's praying, saying, it's going to be okay. Everything you have is mine, and so everything I have, I'm giving to you. Jesus says, you are in me and I am you. In other words, he knows there's no distance between him and the Father. He's never, ever alone. He's never abandoned. He has this immediate sense of the Father's presence, and and that Jesus said that the Son can only do what he sees his Father doing. And the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Have you ever been in those spots where you're like, I don't know what to do next? What do I do next? But he knew the Father loves me. He's always going to show me. And so Jesus lived this life of desire, of this interaction with Father that was unbroken. And if you will, it's the life of desire for God and his kingdom that I'm trying to describe, that I've been trying to say, what if, like some of us experienced last week when we worship Jesus, this immediacy of his presence. And have you noticed when you're in God's presence, things make sense a little bit more? Have you noticed it's easier to forgive other people? When you're, You have some grace on other people when you're sensing the presence of Jesus. when it, It's easier to believe you know, that God could do a miracle when I'm in the presence of Jesus. Could it be that that was Jesus' life all the time so that when he's just walking around, some lady presses through a crowd, and just by touching, his, his robe gets healed. Was that just Jesus was like a superhero or was it really true that Jesus limited everything about himself? Like Philippians 2 said, he never took the advantage of being divine, but instead learned to live a life just like us, but filled with the Holy Spirit and communion with the Father. Could it be that God is leading you and me into a life that if someone was just hungry enough and just touched them, the presence of God would enter their body and heal them? I mean, I'm saying this. Could, could we live in such a way? Well, the thing we've, we've been figuring out, we, and we, Seth, Seth and I stole this from one of our heroes, Dallas Willard, is that to live Jesus' life, we must, to have Jesus' life, we have to live Jesus' lifestyle. Does it make sense? To have Jesus' life means we must live Jesus' lifestyle. So Seth, take us into
1: this a little bit of what, what, what does that mean? It's just another way of saying that we have to be disciples of Jesus, um, and that, that's, that's the whole idea of being disciples. In the first century, when a rabbi would call people to be their disciples, he was saying, come, sit under my teaching, and live the life you see me living. Take on my lifestyle and the lifestyle that I'm teaching, and let that become the shape of your life. So that, that for us is, you know, we, we see all this stuff, we see in Jesus, we want the Jesus life. Does anybody in here want the stuff on that side of the screen? Yes, you want to live the Jesus life. It sounds impossible. (laughs) Right. But the beautiful thing about the the call of discipleship is that Jesus is saying, in that call, in saying, come follow me, Jesus is saying, the life that you want is possible. But it requires living his lifestyle, which, uh, specifically, some of the things we're going to talk about is that it looks like doing some things that we can do that when his holy spirit meets us through them they empower us increasingly to become the kind of people who live the kind of life that we can't live on our own and so th- this stuff on on the left of the screen is stuff that we can't do it's stuff we can't do on our own but these things on the right side of the screen are some things that we can do now we can't do them on our own and the whole point is not to try to do them on our own the whole point is that these things these things like prayer, which there's a whole lot of subcategories of prayer, everything on the spectrum from passive forms of prayer like contemplation and meditation to very active forms of prayer like intercession and petition, worship, things like singing songs like we were doing this morning. Those are things that we can do that open up a door for the Holy Spirit to come in and empower us to live the kind of life that we can't live on our own. And so, you know, worship as well, things like celebrating the Lord's Supper or feasting and celebration together. Fasting, which is another way of saying going without things we need or think we need. Fasting food is the the most basic form of fasting, but in our culture, we need to fast media and social media sometimes because we become convinced that we need them to live. Study, studying the scriptures and the writings of other disciples of Jesus over the centuries. Simplicity, which basically just means living with less and being generous with what we have, both with our money and our possessions, but also with our time and our schedules. How many of you want to become people who live lives like Quaker writer Thomas Kelly described as living lives of unhurried peace and power? That's, that's the life Jesus is describing uh, over here on the left. Unhurried peace. Unhurried peace wow. and power. That's how Jesus lived. He wasn't hurried, but he was full of peace and it power.
0: It reminds me, of someone asked Dallas Willard, um, if you had to describe Jesus in one word, what would you use? And he said, "Relaxed."
1: <laughs> yes, that's it.
0: Wouldn't it be great to re- live a relaxed life? And we're all like panicking. I'm panicked. I try to be. How do I do relax? Tell me now. Tell me now. <laughs> Tell me now. Tell me now. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, a relaxed life, but that is full of the active present power of the Holy Spirit, and which prepares us for service. We can do service and invite the Holy Spirit into it, and he transforms us to the kind of people who want to serve, who find joy in serving. And submission as well is a huge one of the disciplines of Jesus, which means submitting to Jesus' authority, first of all, through the scriptures and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it also means submitting to the leaders that God's put in our lives, in our families, in our church, in the government, in our jobs. And, and so, these. Th- this is not a full list of all the different disciplines of the spiritual life. There's many more, but this is a, a basic list of the things that we see Jesus doing in His life through the Gospels, and the things that we see Him teaching us to do. And so, th- this is—we're just kind of calling this short list just the practices of Jesus, the things that Jesus told us to do and modeled for us. So, the, so the hope is, guys, that and many guys, many
0: like me. Yeah, I'm familiar with a lot of this, but we want to talk about it. But one of the things that's very different <laughs> about what we've grown up with as our understanding of like learning. When we think, feel like we learn something, in our culture growing up, that meant you took a test, right? And you answered things on a sheet of paper, right? Isn't that what you all, at least that's what I did when I went to school. So learning was meant, I knew it. But in Jesus' day, and really in, in real life, it doesn't mean just that I can recite it and put it on a piece of paper. It becomes, I'm a, I become having some mastery at doing it. Does that make sense? In other words, I can recite all kinds of great quotes from guys who write about prayer. But the best way to really get, to, to, to have mastery at prayer is to pray a lot. And fail at it a lot. And then try it again. And talk about it with friends. And read, look at how Jesus did it. And just do it again. So so yeah, that's and, and yeah. I would
1: just add just it's so important that we don't confuse those things on the right with the, with being the substance or the point of the Christian life. Yeah. We a lot of us have been taught to do these things and that those are the things that we're supposed to do and do well and that's the Christian life. But the whole point is these are the things that Jesus has offered us as tools to learn how to live the substance right. of the Christian it, life it, over here. It'd be like an athlete believing the whole purpose of their life was to stretch. Right, right, or, and or never just run. Lift weights.
0: You know, or just lift weights and never go onto the field. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So stuff that's good to know about Jesus' lifestyle. And so the, the, this this is my bad attempt at like the road is in the middle and on either side's a ditch. Okay? So that's the road, (laughs) walk in the middle. I could have spent more time on it, but I just didn't want to. So Jesus' lifestyle being the road, there's there's two ditches on it, right? And so the first one we're calling the matrix, what's that mean?
1: It's this idea that the Christian life can be or should be like the movie The Matrix. Has anybody ever seen the movie The Matrix, 1999? Come on. It was my favorite movie when I was 12. It was so cool. But in the movie, the the characters, whenever they want to be able to do something in the world that they live in, they just ask the programmer for a download, and he just uh, downloads their brain with the ability to fly fly a helicopter all of a sudden. I know Kung Fu. And and, and we think that that's what Jesus' life was like. And, and so we think that maybe if we were really spirit-filled or whatever, that that's what our life would be like. Anything Jesus-y that we want to be able to do, there should just be an automatic download. so in
0: if the Holy Spirit's really me, I just am able yeah, which to forgive basically people means, all the time.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I, the Christian life is just totally passive, and Jesus is just going to do something to me, zap, that's it.
0: Okay, okay, so that's one ditch. So that's not the Jesus life. That's lifestyle. not the Jesus life. The other side of the ditch is we're calling the muscle.
1: And I apologize to the ladies for the overly masculine metaphors of matrix and muscle. <laughs> and for all that alliteration, I'm sorry. That's just pathetic. <laughs> but but the, the other side of the ditch is thinking that the Christian life consists in our, like, gritting our teeth and working really hard to be really spiritual people. Just just fast enough Just time. fasting more Pray and more. praying more and yeah. reading the Bible more. And if I just do it hard enough, good enough, and just enough then it's going to happen, or that that even is going to be the substance of the Christian life in itself. I'll be really spiritual. And these are both guaranteed paths to chronic failure, to a a complete disconnect in our relationship with Jesus, of being able to actually know Him and live with Him and enjoy our life with Him. And, And they're really both pathways to spiritual oblivion. Just...
0: Which is spiritual oblivion? That's not a good thing. It kind (laughs) of, in some traditions, that sounds awesome, right? But, um, but that's not a good thing. So, so we're trying to articulate Jesus' lifestyle. Seth had, I thought this, he wrote this down. It was really good. Is this? What is that?
1: Ordering daily life around practice of the spiritual disciplines and the Holy Spirit's power. And so, it is starting with. Our lives. When we talk about living the Jesus life, we need to also be clear that we're talking about Jesus living his life through us and in, in the circumstances of our context. We're not talking about figuring out how to become wandering first century, you know, prophetic teachers or something like that. We're talking about how does Jesus want to manifest his life through my context as a stay-at-home mom or as a banker or as whatever it is that you spend your life doing. It's by ordering the, the elements of my daily life around practices that get me in touch with the Holy Spirit's guiding and empowering presence. Cool. Cool. I love this. So so the summary of the whole thing is we're talking about desire that
0: inspires discipline and discipline that then nurtures desire. That we're saying that Jesus' life is that life that I believe we actually want. That That connection to the source, that ground place of being that no matter how crazy life gets, I know I'm loved by the Father. I know I have meaning and significance. Why? Because he's bestowing it on me. But to have Jesus' life requires living Jesus' lifestyle. So, we had a reflection question we can say, um, and it's simply this, like, so what do we do with this? Um, One of the things Seth and I noticed, that if you're human, (laughs) the odds are you tend toward like I do, one of the ditches. And, and so, for instance, my ditch is the muscle. Like, I figure... Mine too. Yeah, I mean, and Seth and I are good friends, uh, and we have a lot of good time together where we, like, are just <laughs> recovering, at, recovering perfectionists, recovering self-effort addicts, where I, if I just pray enough, if I just have my routine... If, 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 like, I remember when I was little, my kids, no matter how early I got up to pray, my kids still got up. Can anybody relate to that? And I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, Tim, I'm thinking to my kids, you're ruining my relationship with Jesus. Which, that's pretty messed up if you think about it, right? That's pretty messed up. Um, because I've got to have my routine. I've got to do this. My poor wife to this day, she's just... Wow! And she comes downstairs, and, you know, I still like, yeah, there it goes. There went all the silence and solitude. They just, out the door, along with the dog. Um, that's messed up, right? Because I'm thinking, if I can just get it right, I'll live the Jesus life. And it's just not
1: true. Yeah. Can, can I add something I was going to say before about yeah. these ditches? Is um, I think it's really important to note that for the most part, at least in most of my experience with with my my own experience and and with other people, is that these ditches both tend to come from a, a genuine desire to live the Jesus life, and even often from just a little bit skewed interpretations of the things that Jesus himself said. For instance, Jesus said in the Great Commission and elsewhere that we're supposed to obey his teachings, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything that I commanded. Well, i mean yeah that's uh, we're so we're supposed to and so, so get the, to it baby the, the muscle side is kind of like a reaction to like i'm supposed to obey everything jesus said i read the sermon on the mount it sounds hard slash impossible but jesus said i have to do it so i'd better so start trying harder but be, then but yeah, then the be other side your yeah, father in be has, perfect, perfect right yeah but then the other side also this this matrix side it shouldn't there's this instinct i think sometimes that the christian life shouldn't be like that and we hear jesus saying come to me All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And that sounds like, okay, well, which is it, Jesus? (laughs) Exactly. Which one of these these is true? And it is a failure to recognize the, the narrow road in between those two things, which is that Jesus is saying that he wants to liberate us from the slavery of sin, That we live in, but also from the slavery of religious striving, and bring us into this atmosphere of grace where we take on his yoke, which is easy because he's the one carrying the weight, and because we're accepted before we perform, we get this easy yoke of becoming his disciples and then becoming people who, in an atmosphere of grace, are constantly being called up to learn through living this lifestyle with Jesus to become people who can obey his teaching. It's yeah, so, so
0: beautiful. Is there's anything we've learned over the 17, 18, 20 years, I don't know, we've been uh, doing Celebrate Recovery, which is just, guys, it's just discipleship is what it is. It's just doing yeah. the discipleship stuff. But the, the best way to change is an atmosphere of acceptance yeah. and forgiveness. Jesus said, or Paul says in Romans 12 or 2, it's God's kindness. It's this, I forgive you, I love you just like you are, that leads us to repentance, which is the change, which is the movement. So that ordering our daily life around the practice of spiritual disciplines, that's the kind of coming to repent, but the Holy Spirit's power is I love you and I forgive you, and I'm going to give you what you need to live the Jesus life. So we're, we're actually going to shift into an actual, one of the things that Jesus instructed us to do to access him, which is communion, uh, which it, it's one of the clearest things he gave us to do. He said, okay, there's this Passover meal. I want you guys to do my version of it, <laughs> to remember what I've done for you. And so, um, Seth, why don't you tell us? Uh, Seth, you, you had this gut about it I thought was really important. Yeah, about I, think, I think it's really sweet
1: it. that we were already planning on celebrating communion this morning because... Celebrating the Lord's Supper is a perfect example of what we're talking about this morning. It's something that we can do, and actually something that we can do with our bodies, that if we'll do it just with an openness to the Lord, it creates space for him to do the mysterious stuff that we've been talking about that was on the left side of the screen. It creates space for the supernatural to take place. Something very simple, very natural that we can do. It's a practice, but it makes space for the mysterious to take place and take shape in our lives. And, and I, wanted, I, I just felt to look at these words of Jesus this morning. And uh, so the way we're doing communion right now because of COVID is you all have those little uh, little cup things with the wafers, and you might want to go ahead and get them ready because yeah. they're very difficult to open. Yeah, Do you have any instructions about the best way to open them, Kyle? <laughs> it, 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 no, it takes... You need long fingernails, basically. It's complicated, of, so there's no comparison. Even if it takes you the whole time to get it open, it's fine. Yeah. We're just going to kind of keep moving. Just don't eat the plastic wrap around the wafer. Yeah, okay? it's not it doesn't taste good. a good experience. But, but as we're doing that, as we're opening that, I just want to read these words of Jesus. And, and I want to note that he's, he's not explicitly talking about the Lord's Supper here. He's talking about the reality of of the kingdom life that he's called us into. This is what Jesus said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give in exchange for the life of the world The kind of life we are living without Jesus. The life that I want to give in exchange for that life is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father or I live by the life of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me, will live by my life within them. And they did not understand what he was talking about at this point, and it freaked them out. And he wasn't talking about the practice of communion specifically. He gave us later the practice of communion, the Lord's Supper, as a way of symbolically practicing our faith in this reality, that we can actually take into our very bodies the life of Jesus and become what Peter called participants of the divine nature. And so if you this morning desire the life of God and his kingdom, I want to invite you to take a step of faith, to do something practically and you don't have to do it right or do it well or have your heart in exactly the right place or be thinking exactly the right things. You can just take it, the the bread and the wine, the juice, and just say, Jesus, I want your life in me and as I put these things in my body, it's just my way of saying, come, do in me what I cannot do for myself. I want to invite you now to just go ahead and take the bread. Jesus, when he broke the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. He took our sin into his body and let his body be put to death, putting our sin to death. The broken body of Jesus is the declaration that we have been crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but Christ can live inside of. And I want to invite you to take the cup and drink the wine. Jesus said, this cup is my blood. The blood of the new covenant poured out to wash away your sins. Our sin was dealt with in his broken body. And our sins, our sinful acts, past, present, and future have been washed away and covered by the blood of Jesus. Because he loves us and wants us to live in unbroken fellowship and communion with him. That's what communion is about. It's about being invited into communion with Jesus and his Father by the Holy Spirit.
0: Let's sing together uh, for a minute and then we'll close in prayer. Sure. think of a practical situation you know you're going to face this week, where you may need the life of Jesus in you, (laughs) that very life that's power that you don't have on your own, but you can do something to access it. I'm thinking of moms who the only way they get a clear moment is to hide in the bathroom, Right, And you can't keep a thought in your own head because you're constantly need, need, need. I'm thinking of guys who have a hyper crazy boss who's micromanaging your life when you're there eight to 10 hours a day. I'm thinking of people looking at, I hate paying my bills because I get so anxious. That we can access the power of Jesus in that moment. It's possible that he wants you to not grit through it, the muscle, but also to know that it's not surprising. There's not something wrong with you because you said yes to Jesus. That this, isn't, this isn't automatic. So if you hit either one of those moments, let's just hit this. The phrase that just came to me. If we just say Jesus to ourselves quietly, remembering at this moment, this moment on Sunday, I received into my life the power of Jesus to receive his life and find maybe you're, mom you're sitting in that bathroom just waiting for a minute of quiet Jesus Jesus or the boss has just sent you another email that you can feel your heart rate going up and you're angry don't type just Jesus your life is in me or you're or your blood pressure is going up because you know I don't know how I'm going to pay off this and I want to be out of debt. Jesus. It's just one little practice you can do that we can actually let Jesus just come in and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Sound good? All right. Well, that's all we got. So in Jesus' name, amen. How's that sound? Have a great week. We love you. We're going to talk more about this over the coming months. So. Yeah, see ya.